Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Horus Heretics. I am William. I'm Neil. Um, God, I really started that with a really strange energy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a book called The Age of Darkness that is a collection of short stories about the Horus Heresy. Um, and I suppose I'm starting to imagine these like these collections of short stories as kind of like if the whole thing were a film, these are sort of montages of bits of the action uh, around the various battlefields of the galaxy. The other one was, I think, you know, this one's kind of situated more in the midst of war than the last section was. Um, the last collection, sorry, was. But let's get right down to the stories. It looks like we're probably going to do this like we did the last one in a three, in three separate episodes, probably, because we've covered about a third of it this time. And uh, I think that's... Fair enough, even though you know I've, I've long been upset by the um, confusion that causes to our episode numbering. But um, I mean, but if, if you're willing to put up with that sort of mental <laughs> anguish, um, I, I'm more than willing to go ahead with it. Actually, when you think about it, if we do this in three, that'll set things right again. Because the last one was in being three, fucked it all up. You're right. Anyway. You're right. <laughs> you're right. It's, it's meant to be. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's get going. Story number one. What's it called, Neil? It's called Rules of Engagement by our boy Graham McNeil. Um, right, nice one. And it, it starts with Gilliman, the Primarch of the Ultramarines, writing his magnum opus. And he is putting down all his teachings into a book. Um, and he uh, says that uh, the teachings that he puts in it uh, will actually save the Imperium. Um, but he goes on to say that it's very important to note that he's not being vain about it. Um, it's a it's a book for everybody. It's um, uh, and you, we're not quite sure what what it is at this point. It's just him writing. I mean, for all the Primarchs talk about themselves as being perfectly designed soldiers, um, only ready for killing. What can they do? What like what is life for them after? Uh, the crusade but for all the primarchs that we've heard about a huge number of them do like closet themselves away to start writing books <laughs> <laughs> all their oldest frustrated authors I know. <laughs> it, it just like kind of makes me think of them as like footballers who are sick and tired of being called stupid it's being like well what the clever people do well they write books in it and like <laughs> they're just like they're sick and tired of being called like massive killing machines they're just like that's not just me i i have thoughts um <laughs> i'm gonna put them in this book and yeah so it, it this story is told through various different engagements scattered through the timeline with uh, the same people that are using this the teachings in this book for warfare and following it to the letter and seeing what comes of it and it's it's a fairly stultifying story to be honest because <laughs> because all it is are uh, tactical engagements where one of them is saying but the book says this and other people go well you know but this is a <laughs> it war it doesn't seem right <laughs> yeah that doesn't, doesn't seem right that doesn't seem right and the rest the, and the, the guy just going well no it doesn't seem right and i'm not very confident <laughs> in it at all but it is in the book. So right, the, the, fir the first engagement is, uh, Christ, uh, 
It says Remus, uh, who's the main character throughout, is uh, in an engagement after Kalth has fallen in Ultramar. So um, reasonably late on in the heresy. Um, and it says that Remus is a traitor. So we're not quite sure what this is all about. Gilliman has finished his book and uh, this, the soldiers are obviously um, uh, like oozed to enact everything in it in some way. And he asks, can a book contain all possible tactical outcomes? And uh, <laughs> this is just like the most basic tactical bait and switch. And it works well. You know, the, like they're following the, the, the book to the letter. And it's basically like, pretend that you're over here, but don't be over there. You know, it's like yeah. you, it's like <laughs> warfare uh, that has existed uh, for two, for four, five, six, eight thousand years at the minute. And this is like 40, 000, well, 30,000 years in the future. <laughs> and Gilliman feels the need to write this down in his fucking opus. <laughs> but, I don't, you know. It was just like this like totally plagiarized thing that, uh, <laughs> that he has to, has to say is his great masterwork. But then, but then, uh, what you've just described there is is basically the whole story until the end, which we'll get to. But I think I want to dig in a little bit more into the details um, of, of some of this. So like... Just I'm just looking at the notes I've taken, and uh, so basically this is what Neil's just described there. This is what happens um, throughout the book. So it's like, for instance, this passage: Remus knew that could not be true. The Primarch's writing would have a solution to this assault on Ultramar. It was just too complex and overarching a plan to be comprehended by mortals, even ones as cognitively advanced as the Legion has started. <laughs> so they're basically kind of having to just carry out these orders. They they don't understand sometimes and just in the faith that they will eventually come right and a lot of the uh the stuff that's in these the the, the textbook if you like is described as <laughs> in sort of glorious management speak it says <laughs> the primarch's teachings were indelible indelibly etched on his mind options variables per variables parameters action paths outcome responses and a thousand <laughs> detailed plans <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I I'm working with a, a project manager in work at the minute who writes emails like that, and <laughs> <laughs> the last thing that I want to do is follow his words to the absolute letter. <laughs> like it, it does not inspire that kind of uh, trust. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so basically, you're not really following those the action paths laid before you. No, absolutely not. Um, do, do you want to talk about this this engagement anymore? Uh, I'm j I've just been like uh, planning on uh, scattering over them and talking about the sort of the absolute failures in leadership of this guy Remus uh, throughout his entire engagements. But <laughs> I don't I don't think we really need to go into individual engagements. I think the important thing about them is that they're all like in the in Ultramar the space yeah. of. Um, controlled by the ultramarines and they're against various um traitor legions like the world eaters um yeah the death the, guard yeah they i mean the next engagement as i say this it, it like just cuts hard cuts between uh different engagements and it shows remus who steadfastly is following this book and you can see his career trajectory just taking off like, because he's just like a, a normal legionary, and then he's commanding like a, a bunch of soldiers. Then he's got like a planetary command, and it's like a, a, absolutely amazing. Um, the next engagement, he's uh, the world leaders are like destroying this planet called Prandium, which I think is um, uh, the, considered like this golden 
jewel in in the, the crown of Ultramar, and Remus is in charge of the planetary defense, and it's like quite a short in, a story about his engagement, and it's mostly about like the command structure completely arguing with um, Remus's orders, and they're all just like making really good points. They're saying like, no, that's a terrible idea. We can't be doing that way, and. Um, <laughs> They, they say, like, they straight out question his orders. They do that, like, uh, absolutely out front. And they say, do you, do you honestly know what you're doing? And he says, <laughs> he says, he has faith in the Primarch's writings. Imagine being ordered to your death by a man who fully admits he doesn't understand his own orders, but that he has read it in a book. <laughs> like, just imagine following someone like that. And needless to say, he says, are you questioning the Primarch? And they go, oh, oh, gosh, gosh, no. If it's in the book, it's in the book. And they walk to their deaths. But obviously, it works. He, he does fire one of his um, like underlings very quickly for sort of questioning one of his his um, That's right. Plans. They must have been in the book uh, too, let's face it. <laughs> and, then, and then, so a lot of the a lot of these actual battles consists of um, phrases like this. Order battle group, battle group Ultima to realign its frontage along the river Axiana, he said. Ninth <laughs> and 25th to alter the direction of their advance. Northeast to grid reference 6-9 Alpha, 8-3 Delta. So that leads to the, the final engagement, which is uh, it's on McCrag, isn't it? Which is like yeah. the, the actual home planet, I think, of the Ultramarines. So this is the Sons of Horus they're fighting here. Yep. Um, and Horus himself... Horus himself is Terrifying. there, and they're, and they're doing. He's carrying out the plans as the book instructs, but it's just not working. Um, and like so, one like sort of ambush they have planned, they end up getting ambushed themselves as they're doing it, and they sort of get backed into a corner, and they're sort of inevitably defeated. Let Let's face it; it wasn't written in the book. When you're ambushing, don't be ambushed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, and so they're about to be defeated, and then it's like, oh, oh it's terrible! It's terribly boring. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 Horus wins, and it turns out it's a total exercise. It's it's war gaming. Gilliman comes up to uh, Remus and pats him on the back and says, "You did everything you could. You followed the the book to the letter." Remus is just fucking. He's distraught. He's like. But 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 I did follow the book and and I lost, and and Gilman is like, the Codex Astartes, that's what it's called, um, is not to stamp out free thought and intuition, it's a it's a guide, it's guidelines, um, and 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 Remus, ooh, he's not, I'm not sure he's on board with this at all, because uh, he because the the previous stories have told you he's stuck rigidly to that, and he is only the legionary he is. In in uh, with as much control and and uh, power over uh, the legion, because he has followed the book to the absolute letter, and now Gilliman is just throwing spanner after spanner in the works. Yeah, so Gilliman he was dressed up as Horus basically, um, and uh, yeah, it's all just a war game. Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but I really would like to. Um, there's a lot of descriptions, I think, in the course of these engagements of usual, you know, usual stuff from these books in a battle of people being turned into blood mist and <laughs> having limbs severed, etc. Um, 
and yet are we to understand that this these are ultramarines actually killing each other in the course of these war games or is that uh, what's going on here no i think i think it's a a, a clever ploy of the author um right. and somehow um they're able to mock that up to i don't know i i don't know how but yeah there's no way they would yeah. kill each other like that yeah that's what i mean that's what i thought but um it was uh, it was quite an annoying twist ending wasn't it <laughs> it was like uh here's the and we've seen this a few other times like all the chat like in the very first book about you know you know how it starts with the thing i was there when horus killed the emperor and mm. like, oh, ah, but yeah um it's not really that and this was sort of similar to that and uh I don't know. Um, I, I I honestly don't know what the point of the book, of this story was. Um, it's to lay the groundwork that this book is uh, like. Honestly, I don't know. It it is so. It seems so literal and um, boring. That yeah, I mean, I, all, I couldn't get a grasp of it. All it really does is, I guess, sort of just show you the extent of the um, ultramarines' tactical planning, etc. Um, and I mean the actual fighting bits of this book were perfectly fine for the you, most part. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. That is true. And it was, um, it zipped along. Yeah, it was Quite okay. Nicely. Like it, it was a sort of annoying ending, but it it was okay. Um, so, uh, got anything to add about uh, that story? Who was it? This was Graham McNeil. Did this it? was Graham McNeil. Uh, I don't think so. I think the next story is the one that I think I want to talk a little bit more about because. It has, well, it's called uh, Liar's Jew by Jim Swallow. And it tells, if I was presented with the the kind of elevator pitch for this story, I would be a million times on board with this. I think it's a yeah. really, really interesting story. Um, and I, there are a few reasons why I think it was successful and less successful, but maybe we should just um, start talking about the story and, and come back to that at the end. Yeah, so... So this story is, I th- I find the setting really interesting. It was like uh, this agricultural world far off in the fringes of imperial space, you know, well away from the political centre and where the war is going on and stuff. Just a place that, you know, the emperor won't even know its name and or that, so they think anyway, and, you know, just completely off the beaten track. And people and, there... And they, they, they know that themselves and they... Their entire world is is like dedicated to the production of some kind of grain, and yeah. they have this uh, sort of elevator, space elevator called the Skyhook, which is yeah. like automated, and the it just you know you load the grain on, takes it up to space, and that there there is uh, some kind of port of some kind up there that will yeah. distribute the grain around the uh, Imperium. And yeah, nobody thinks of this planet. They've got it's just a complete backwater. The only link they have to the Imperium is clearly like a, a very small colonial government uh, in the capital city, um, and one astropath up in space who collects messages from that sent from other astropaths and then translates them and sends them in like a weekly sort of audio message that's yeah. uh, projected around the, the entire planet 
and gives them you know news from the imperium and stuff things that you know uh, they should know uh, about other planets and that yeah and it was just a really vividly captured um setting that 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 um i don't know i i think it reminded me of like you know obviously sci-fi is a thing that in general when you think of a place that is in science fiction you generally think of a highly urbanized you know setting with um loads of massive buildings with lights all over them and stuff and and this reminded me sort of of the aesthetic of like looper have you seen that Mm -hmm. um just in terms of like it all that sci-fi city stuff is going on but it also has stuff in the rural yeah um and areas and you can see that in the background and and um yeah just that like a a really sci-fi setting but um but but the sort of rural setting within that that's very kind of traditional i guess you know i mean it's not like like that not everything yeah even in a world as technological a universe as technologically advanced as this one there's still places where people are just farming and yeah um and those technological advancements don't make it evenly distributed across the imperium like the and the imperium still needs shit to be grown and it yeah, still needs yeah. it still needs its people to sort of well to grow it and to yeah. to not be required in the armies or anything like that um, yeah yeah so 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 like the town where this story is is mostly set is um kind of its function is to service this space elevator and uh, so so basically the people that live there are mostly work in the work in some capacity in the running of the space elevator even though the, the mechanics of it um itself are, are run by like robots and just sort of automatically sends this grain constantly up into space to be carried away so the main uh, characters we're introduced to are uh, a kind of well I, I don't know i don't know if it said how old he was but it's kind of like a young man called uh, Leon. Yeah, I, um, I, in my head, he is a sort of 14, 15, 16 year old. Right, I, I'm okay. not, not sure if that's if that was described in it in uh, the book, but that's what he is in my head. Yeah, okay, that, that seems entirely possible. I was thinking he could be that, or he, he potentially is like 18, 19, but he's, he's yeah, he's, um, but you, yeah, you're probably right. He probably is meant to be that age, actually, now that I think about it, because he's got all these like posters on his wall and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, so he's living with his dad, um, who has a kind of um, dorm. Yeah, that's that that's at. that's right. They have like a, a boarding house almost, and it's clear that um, the boarding house had been looked after mostly by his mother, who's now not on the scene anymore. She died recently of some disease that is like prevalent on agri worlds like this, and yeah. there is a real like there is a good for for all it's a short story. There is a, a a very good depiction of the stress in the relationship between this kid and his dad. His dad yeah. is clearly very unhappy at everything. Like he uh, he's unhappy about his own situation. He's unhappy that he was born and his son has been born into a life of servitude with no options available to them. He uh, he's unhappy that the um, Imperium and the, by extension, the Emperor, don't care about their contribution. They just assume and expect it to continue. You know, even in even in this like unhappy life that he had, he did have his the wife who he loved, and then lost her as well. 
And so he's sort of taking out a lot of that anger on Leon, who is a bit of bit of a nerd, a bit of uh, a, a bit of a, a sort of, uh, you know, he, he, re- he reads this book to himself, you know, about all the different legions and uh, military insignia. And he knows the, you know, the different sigils and the armor patterns. And he's got a, a single case from a bolter round. And he yeah. like he he holds that in his hand. He's like he thinks like where would where did this fall? Like, he bought it for too much off a like a traveling merchant. He's like, but this could have come from a space marine, and uh, this could have come from a battle, and it's just like one shell. Uh, yeah. Whereas in every other story that we've had before, these things have just been like splayed around in their tens of thousands. In their that, that, millions, perhaps, and this one that, thing was just like key to him, treasured by him, and that was a really good detail. And like, yeah, so he's 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 basically like a, a massive fan of the Imperium and the Space Marines, and that kind of pisses off his dad, who sees this all as just a distant, you know, yeah, abstracted nonsense that um, has little real bearing on their on their day to day lives. But he, in a like. In almost a hint of postmodernity, he actually has like miniatures of space marines on his, <laughs> on his shelves, or like ones yeah. that he's kind of constructed himself, which I thought was kind of neat. I was um, I was hoping for like a moment where he like gets them down and puts the like gets a ruler out and starts like <laughs> <laughs> starts like basically playing blood bowl in some way or other, you know, like, just like the first ever player to like. Yeah. The, the full rules of Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl and that's something. where the hobby began yeah. and actually turns out 40k is the prehistory of our own world. Um, um, but anyway, the, the story is that um, this uh, the planet sort of, uh, well, the, this town have gathered outside to hear the news that the message that's sent down is uh, the fall of Terra, the death of the Emperor and his sons, the imminent surrender of all the loyalists. And the fact that Horus has won and is now in charge. And there is like a discussion amongst the sort of older members of the town uh, about like, will Horus come here? If anyone comes here, they need to have decided already what they're going to do. Uh, will they be killed? And just like nobody knows what to do. And they see lights spreading in the sky and they think like, oh, that could be space marines like uh you know drop potting down and they, they they don't know you know what position to take and that soon spirals into like outright violence between different factions that emerge in amongst the population which kind of factions that uh split along lines that were already there even before this news yeah. came you know like people that were already which i thought you know that, that was that was like um you had this you had this guy called Preel and uh he carried this weapon that his like i think it was his great grandparents uh, one his of great, his yeah his great grandmother was like in the imperial armies or something like 150 years ago or something like that his great great grandmother something like that yeah uh, and he carried her weapon as a sign of pride and also that like that's family history so i'm i'm sticking with the emperor 
Um, yeah. And there was the other side, that of uh, Amos, which is, uh, I think that's the name of Leon's father. And he, he yeah. was basically, what does it matter, Faith, you know, ab- about this? Is it, it, we have to be pragmatic. Um, if Horus is going to come here, uh, then, you know, we need to kind of have been with him. We need to, you know, we need to decide because um, the the empire has done nothing for us. So what's better for us? Um, and that that's you know the that's the earliest stages. Um, and later on, you see that like proper violence has developed over over this simple question of will Horus come and kill them and which side do they need to take and it's it is really quite something because it is they have completely talked themselves into it uh, there is absolutely no sign that either the empire or Horus will come and uh, kill everyone they just assume he will and they need to take sides um, they start hanging each other uh, yeah. from uh, lampposts and the guy with the antique, like Olasgon, he um, he sort of gets up to like defend the the town basically, and he's like so wired that he um, shoots in the face um, someone who he thinks is an approaching space marine follower of Horus, I guess, and uh, it's actually this other guy from the town who had gone off to sort of the capital city, which wasn't all that far away to. Um, to find out what's going on, basically. Yeah, and and bring back proper information, and that's you know that's what they are lacking in this place is absolutely no information, and they're just making bad decisions on bad evidence. Um, yeah, and he like this killing of this person, uh, this local person just like destroys Priel. He like drops the gun and he's like just a shaking, quivering mess. Yeah, and mean so. Meanwhile, alongst, alongside all of this, um, from from uh, for some time before this announcement is made, there has been a man whose name I don't have immediately at hand. Men- Mendax. Mendax. Yeah, I yeah I wasn't sure if he was like Mendax or like that sort of I don't know like Hungarian sort of pronunciation of like Mendach or something. But anyway, it's I, him. I've just been assuming. Uh, Mendax, uh, because I assume he's named for Mendacity, because he's a liar. <laughs> Let's go with Mendax. Um, and he, uh, he's he been staying in the, the sort of dorm uh, hostel place that's run by Leon's father, Amos, uh, for a while. And Leon has been really fascinated by him, because he, he seems to have um, a lot of knowledge and stuff about the Imperium. Yeah, and he, he, he's everything that Leon would admire in that he calls himself, he says he's a traveling remembrancer. He's been all over. So, like, he's he's met space marines. He works for the uh, the Empire. He, um, you know, goes around collecting stories and telling stories. And um, so, yeah, he, he wheedles his way into the the good faith uh, the good affections of everyone in time basically he is the person that it turns out that the message that was sent is a forgery and one that he 
uh, created and sent down. And he has been stirring up this bad feeling. And um, it's clear that he's known exactly what he's doing and has done it before. You know, once he sees that people are killing each other and that battle lines are being drawn and all that kind of stuff, um, he sneaks out, sneaks uh, through the town and up through the skyhook, the space elevator, into uh, the port bed above that, which houses the astropath. Um, and Leon sees him and he's like, well, this is unusual, follows him up. But Mendax is like, he's not an idiot. He's a canny man. He knows exactly uh, what's happening. Uh, Leon is not, you know, a particularly good spy. Yeah, so that, so he, he goes up the the elevator thing and he, he gets, does he get the astropath to send, yeah, he gets the astropath to send a message like to his masters here, doesn't he? Like yeah. at gunpoint to say like, job done, basically. And um, he's, he then... he's, he's working for Horus. He's been just going through all the different sort of rural worlds, stirring up hatred like this. And yeah, he gets the that message sent and then instantly kills the astropath and kind of gives Leon a bit of a speech and says that people like his father and, and Prill, um, they let themselves be manipulated because deep within themselves, they say they want to be right. Um, they want their their darkest fears to come true because that validates everything that they hate about the lives that they are you know assigned in the imperium go ahead he doesn't kill them he says like yeah just head back down you'll be fine um because um i know that basically by the time you're down there this planet's already going to be turned to horus essentially yeah and and that was the end of the story i think a really as i say if you told me that this was uh, at the start, you know, this is a story about how the manipulations of a disconnected community can be, you know, used and, and manipulated and forced in different directions uh, so that no force, no external force needs to be applied and they will like tear themselves apart. Fuck, that sounds fascinating. Yes, more. Yes. Give me that story. I liked this book in parts but also uh, not not great um in the overall i think um it was told in a disconnected uh timeline so uh it kept on jumping back and forth um you know many hours ahead or many hours behind the uh initial broadcast and in a short story, I was just like, just fucking don't do that. Just <laughs> just fucking tell the story, you know? Yeah, no, um, I mean, this is a common complaint of ours, these sort of unnecessarily Baroque structures of these books. More and to come on that, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, you're right, you're damn right about that. Um, yeah, the, like, uh, in this, in, yeah, in the context of a short story, it's just... It's, it's so unnecessary. This one at least had the decency to sort of, um, it had a kind of convention of like marking like yeah what was the date of each section before or after the the broad the the message was broadcast. The one about saying that Horus had had won the war and stuff. So, um, but other than that, I, I didn't see how you couldn't have just told it in a linear chronological order. And 
and I mean, even the, even the first one, even though that was pretty straightforward, that was had this thing of just having different sections about these different engagements and jumping between them. But, and, but, but what's so strange is like we're doing three books, uh, three short stories, and in all of them, they've they've used some form of uh, you know fast cut. Uh, time saving thing or like just and I'm like these are short stories the whole point of these is that you tell a condensed powerful little piece of story you know like just like a punchy thing and in all of these they have like they they set them over far too long a period and therefore they need to say uh, basically oh 24 hours later or something uh, and yeah. they use this weird literary convention in order to signal that. Just don't fucking do it. Like, you're in charge of the story. Just uh, tell a story that doesn't need all of these stupid pauses or diversions yeah. in the timeline or something. It just seems so pointless and so against what a short story is. Yeah, I, I mean, the, all that being said, I think the like the time hop in here was a little bit more justified than in some other cases. No, you're, you're right. Yeah, as you say, the um, the hook that it uses of you know being before or after the broadcast is a good one. Uh, I would say it's a good one. It's a good way of disguising the same thing. Uh, but I just don't think that thing is necessary. And. Like overall, I, I I really liked this one to be honest. I thought it was really vivid, and I, I really liked the idea of going to the outer edges of this rebellion and like trying to think about. And yeah, you could argue that it, it's not a you know it, like you could probably if you wanted to pick a whole load of holes in the idea that this is this all happens like you know so rapidly after this message comes on and stuff and and uh, why do they all you know why is it alternatively Horus um, so quickly, uh, but. I really like the idea of like you know how you know the the despite the size of their armies they're not going to have the resources to commit you know to an invasion of every single planet yeah um and so I really like the idea of trying to tell the story of how the war is fought in in that way on its outer uh, edges and and that that whole aspect of like how quickly they turn I, I find that like entirely believable because you know the their loyalty to the um, the Imperium is largely uh, just like uh, skin deep. You know, they are only loyal to them because they have always been loyal to them. Um, when the question gets asked, what is the Imperium actually doing for you? They quickly come to the answer of like, well, nothing. Um, so um, if Horus is saying, uh, well, you know, just come with me and I won't kill you then the answer is, yep, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, that, and, and that's really, I, I find that completely believable, in fact. Um, and I, so, I, well, I, yeah, sorry. I, I think it, it's sort of a, a interesting little bit that you, you said there was that not even the combined forces of the Imperium or Horus and his traitors have the resources to visit all these planets, especially not like completely rural and agricultural ones. So we have to like employ these different methods in order to um, gain control over them. The next story, Forgotten Sons by Nick Kime, is another kind of version of that where uh, we see a different kind of power play to win over one uh, planet to, uh, to each other's sides, but at the same time, so it's called Forgotten Sons by Nick Kime, or, or as I'll call it, 
the shittest story ever written. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I find this story to be, whereas the the non-linear structure of the last story made us made sense to a degree. This one genuinely confused me uh, uh, quite a bit um, until some way through its telling, in which it sort of adopted a more conventional form and I, I don't know why it was like that I find it infuriating at the start I was like what's going on here and then yeah we had some timeline skipping which only happened right at the start and then never again and then very fast cuts and I was I thought well, what's going on here it's changed the whole structure changed and then I started getting angry I was like, what the fuck is what the fuck is the point in this? Because like skipping ahead, I've got here that I mean, what would you call the different sections, Will? Are they paragraphs? Are they numbered paragraphs? Or are they different <sighs> books or different sections? What should we call these things? Each each this is divided up into like you say, sections. I don't know what to call them, but they have their own headings. Just yeah. like the um And numerals you know, like, as well. Like uh, what, let me see if I can get one up. But yeah, they have like words um, as their headings, and oh god, it was just one of them. Um, they remember this is a short story. One of them was twenty-five words long. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is no section, paragraph, chapter, whatever that requires to be separate from what comes after and what came before. That is twenty five is mind bending, and I was just like, "Fuck this story." So, so yeah, I look back at it. They don't have numerals, as it turned out, but they're just called things like landfall and planet kill and <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Um, and I'm just like, that's like, and and actually, if anything, that this is like the story in note form. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that it felt really undercooked like that in many places. The writing, you know, and it's as if like. Um, yeah, you know, you can imagine you'd plot out a story being like, well, I've got this section, this section, this section, this section, and and that just sort of made it into the final edit, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, the story, like, as I say, I can't, I can't remember too many examples. There's loads of really half-baked bits of writing in it. Um, and the story was, well, let's try and tell the story such as it was. Um, <sighs> it's too so, fucking long. Let, yeah, let's, let's, let's fly through this. Fucking through. I, and let's not follow the weird timeline at the start. No, I, I couldn't even if I wanted to. No. Um, <laughs> so, um, so there's right. Okay, basically, right. There's a guy called Hecatan who is a uh, who is from the Salamanders. Whose his gimmick is flamethrowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he 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 can stand in fire. And like, just kind of tingle a bit. Like he does not. He does not <laughs> feel fire, which is. A, I mean, is that a gimmick? It's a very strong gimmick. If it is, like, um, I'm not sure if we've come across the salamanders before. I mean, we've probably mentioned them, but they're they're mentioned in like, well, as we'll get to in like yeah, Islam yeah. Five as being all killed in the sort of treachery there. But um, so he's partnering up with a guy who it took me a long time to realize is an ultramarine um and i've forgotten what his name is but he's like uh he's well he's a space marine but he's he's quite injured um so he's not really at his physical best 
Um, yeah, he's been they, sort of demoted to a, a kind of, uh, well, as a diplomat, he keeps on calling himself. So they are, and, and with them is a remembrancer type or like a... Artif- um, artificer. Right, yeah. She deals um, with and, uh, the weaponry of, of uh, Archidesi. And right, so that's the Ultramarine's yeah. name, right? Um, so, so basically, they are going to this. Well, I can't remember what's the name of the planet, or what's the name of the town, but anyway, it's, it's called the the or the city rather. It's called the Bastion, right? And um, and they are seemingly like a they're like a really well defended civilization with, uh, as you would, <laughs> as their name would suggest, um, and uh, they, um. They have been loyal to the emperor. I mean, they, their preference would be to be independent, but they know that like either side could bomb them into oblivion, so they have to take a side. And they have invited two delegations to a um a, a space, an auditorium space that <laughs> seemed to warp um very strangely as the story yeah um carried on it within it. Um, and the they have so they have these two space marines as a delegation from the Imperial side, and they have a bunch of sort of iterator types representing Horus. And they are um, comedy villains, let's call them. <laughs> uh, they're, they're all like robed in dark robes. They're all steepling their fingers and, and like whispering to each other. One of them's called Vorkelin. And if you're, if you're called that, you can't be a goodie. In their entourage, uh, it describes their entourage as a gaggle of archivists, Lex Savants and codifiers. <laughs> Lex Savants. I like that. People who know some words. <laughs> you just see these bunch of people just like over in the corner playing Scrabble amongst each other. <laughs> <laughs> just so every now like, and then somebody going, bingo! <laughs> there before this um, this like auditorium of the sort of leading nobility or whatever or like politicians of this planet of you know the civilization and uh so so they kind of start making their case they start with horus uh horus's crew and they are they sort of present a lot of the major events that we've seen in the in the 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 series in a light that you know makes horus look like a sort of victim and the emperor and his followers as the aggressors. They um, use the example of Monarchia, which we read about not that long ago, and so yeah. where the Ultramarines came down and destroyed uh, the civilization for essentially being too loyal to the emperor, and they were just like, well, if if these people are too loyal, like, how do you judge how loyal you should be? Why don't you just like not decide and come with us you know <laughs> and like not enough. be at all loyal, you know, if it, um, but that, so, i mean so, that, that is a good point like if you're <laughs> yeah. if, if you're not at all loyal what's the worst that could happen to you it's the same thing that happened to the people who were very loyal yeah so you know take yeah. your chance eh? um and and so he using his iterator skills he seems to be doing quite well and now like a bunch of weird stuff happens it should be said that um on their way into this meeting, uh, the two spacemans and the artificer um, were um, shot down in their craft, which you know raised some alarm bells. And um, they, uh, but not enough alarm bells. Not, they, not, 
<laughs> so like so basically they're going into the auditorium and they just say right so they say to the artificer right go off and look after our guns and stuff because we can't go in with our weapons um or even with their armor, I don't think. Yeah, they're they're, they're not. In yeah, their the, armor. The, the, like some something was made that they were like in like fishnet gear. Or something. <laughs> yeah, they're in wagons. They've got wet mesh wagons. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I want to go back to like the fact that they were shot down, and the real extent of the thinking that they did to it was just like a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell you one thing, I wasn't expecting that. And the, <laughs> and they were like, oh well, we've got a conference, we've got to go to. Oh yeah, best hurry up and put your armor yeah. on. And then so they so they send her off with the guns and stuff, and then like, so the the the, the Horus uh, iterator, Horus supporting iterator gives his case as we described, and then like the the ultramarine guy is a bit of a hothead, and he kind of like gets wound up, and like the the Vulcan, sorry, the the Salamander guy has to keep on telling him to cool down. Yeah. Um, even though he's the, he's the flamethrower dude, you know, in this situation. Um, un, un, then, until he uh, bravely runs away. Yeah, in the middle of this, he just, like, fucks off, yeah. like, when they're speaking. And he, so, having sent away the the uh, artificer, they suddenly decide that um, it's dangerous for her to be off on her own. Yeah. So he goes off into um, this sort of labyrinth, labyrinthine... Um, network of tunnels and stuff beneath the auditorium I think or in the same complex and he goes down there and uh, finds an iron warrior and this is all intercut with flashbacks to the scene on Istvan 5 where this uh, this salamander he was there and saw the massacre and that's probably the, those are probably the best bits of this story um, just giving a, a bit of detail about it's, what it, was happening there. It's like I mean, this space marine has like PTSD and is like reliving this stuff, and he's got like he's uh, shaking and stuff like that, and he's reliving the loss of his brothers and the potential loss of his Primarch. They, none of them know what has happened to Vulcan, their Primarch. So um, that's an interesting thought, but it's just completely not the the point of this story yeah. whatsoever and then and then so he finds an iron warrior down there who have some historical connection with this planet um they were the ones who initially brought it to uh, compliance yeah um, which was like dead easy because these guys were like you know the the people on this planet just thought you seem powerful and, you know they yeah. like because they were into defenses and power and stuff they were like yeah we'll just sign up to that um and so he get, goes down there and sees this guy just doing something nefarious um gets into a fight with him and stabs him with his own chainsword uh and then th- throws himself into a nuclear reactor <laughs> <laughs> is that what he does so he what happened what happened to the nuclear reactor at this point because i honestly he, uh, he um he throws the um the iron warrior into it he disappears in a a puff of light. <laughs> right. So, so, um, so then he goes back upstairs, basically, and uh, or, or back to the auditorium, and there's a sniper that he spots. One of those shape-shifting uh, uh, assassins that we met in that other book. Yeah, well, Lacrimal. I think Lacrimal. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. How does exactly does this happen? So, he, the initially like Hecatan, this um, that he's the salamander. He uh, shouts 
um, you know, be careful or something like that. And Arkadese um, protects the people there, including one of his um, opposition iterators. Yeah, and yeah. So, he, like, the, the Horus person is the uh, target here. And, like, a bunch of, like, the, a bunch of shots go out and Arkadese uh, protects some people. Uh, and Hecatan rushes to try and kill the um, uh, assassin, but the assassin like starts pulling like knives out of himself and stuff, and um, starts like it, it turns into um, custodian. Yeah, and and so so there's that encounter. But then the the assassin runs off, right? And at this point, all the people um, that were at this meeting in the auditorium are panicking. And but they're locked in, basically, right? They can't get out the doors, and yet, um, the salamander says that he is going to go off and find this um, this assassin. But the 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 ultramarine should stay and keep people safe. How is like how is he going off when everyone else can't get out of this space? I didn't get that. I know. Um, I didn't but, care. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care. But then this was such a fantastically long short story. With yeah. so I just I fucking hated this. Um, and then he he comes back, uh, or so it appears. But it turns out that's the assassin that's taking his form. But but they knew all about that. And Arkadesi um, had seen through that plan. Yeah, and he was ready. And the, and the salamander was actually the real salamander was actually there, uh, ready for this as well. So they they eventually, even though he wriggles into a million shapes like T one thousand style, <laughs> he. They, they like sort of hold him down and you know but my, really kill him yeah, my, very hard and that my my favorite uh, part of the the story came here when he like any good bond bond villain asks or scooby doo villain let's face it asks what was it that gave me away and <laughs> the, the the truth this is what the author went with um is that uh the salamander smells and arcadese huh? was like you don't smell like him and yeah, and uh, the salamander went, Yes, I smell like the ashes of my planet or some bullshit. Oh, and I was okay. like, Are you fucking kidding me? Like, is that it? That, oh, God, anyway. Yeah, like, that's like. Explosions! Um, yeah, so. so the- <laughs> Let's get <laughs> through this fucking the- story. <laughs> fucking hell. Underneath this auditorium <laughs> is a stockpile of nuclear weapons <laughs> that extends around the whole. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Absolutely, that the nefarious Iron Warrior has been was setting off um, and managed to set off before the Salamander got to him. So that all starts blowing up, and the whole thing starts falling apart. The floor drops out of the auditorium. Um, they 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 help the the emissaries of of Horus to escape, even though loads of other people that are in there die. Um, well, no, they don't help them instead of them. It's just the, everyone else dies. But, like, the Vulcan, the, I keep calling him Vulcan, the Salamander guy is, like, he has a, a sort of thing about, you know, compared to most space marines, he actually really cares about protecting the weak because he puts it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, saving the, um, saving the, the people, even this, even this, like, guy who's working for Horus. And he, so they, they try to get their vehicle, the Horus um, representatives, they still have a, craft surviving so they try to get to that but then there was like the salamander sort of drops into a 
you know a big rift appears in the ground and he falls into it and the... there's there's like i couldn't believe it there was one of those like hand reaching scenes that action films like you know like just yeah. just a little bit further brother you know that that kind of thing i was like can you, you, know you, are you I... fucking kidding me with this shit I actually found out one of the only affecting um, moments of the story because, like you say, it was this um, salamander had this sort of PTSD condition and he couldn't. His hand was too shaky to yeah um, hold on, and they died. And like because he seemed like kind of a nice guy, that was a bit sad. Um, and uh, then that's the end of it, pretty much, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah. Then uh, uh, as Hecatan bravely falls to his death within the explosions of the planet. Um, Archidese saves Vorkelin and those nuclear uh, explosions destroy the planet and the the message I think is that you know deal with the Imperium and die any planet considering neutrality will now bend the knee to Horus because they've seen that uh, this planet has been made an example of yeah so so it's I mean it was it was kind of similar what you said to the last story in the sense that it was uh, demonstrating a means of Horus's forces um, expanding their power, if you like, without actually sending full armies to places, um, and instead, you know, in this case, just blowing up planets and hoping that sort of does the job on other planets um, to to turn their allegiance. Um, there's a thing about right the salamanders. I'm curious to know your opinion on this because, like. So the salamanders are described as ebon-skinned. Yes. Right? And I don't think that's meant to be like a black person on the earth. I think that's like meant to be something different than that, wouldn't you say? It's like, it's it's meant to be sort of otherworldly or like, you know, uh, it's a very space marine kind of thing because they've got like red eyes as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have been just considering them as sort of all of the uh, legions are from like you know the Viking extraction you know over here and you know they've all got their earthly counterparts so in my head I have just been thinking of them as sort of you know Central Africans um, who've been raised to space marine status but um, you think otherwise I mean they do have red eyes in fairness I'm not not sure because like it's like the fact that like that bit you said about him like almost smelling of ash or something I thought it was meant to be some kind of thing about them almost being like you know the remnants of a fire essentially you know what I mean like, oh right they're, yeah like um, li- I, like they are like they're kind of flaking with ash at all time do you mean like or, or just like they're, you know they're like burned again okay? it's meant to be their like thing you know they're like burning or, or something you know what I mean I, I don't know mm. I, I honestly don't wasn't sure if if that was what they were getting at. Nevertheless... We will get a book soon enough uh, that focuses on the salamanders, I think, so uh, we will find out then. Find out the answer, yeah. But either way, I felt it led to some sort of kind of slightly uneasy uh, (laughs) language um, about um, things like... So it says, they were red but stoked like a furnace. The effect, coupled with the warrior's ebon skin, was disturbing. Um, And I, I just thought that was a bit like... Yeah. yeah, well, just like any anything that links like dark skin with like being literally being burned is a you know a bit fucking stupid, isn't it? Or or just or the idea that 
black skin is like inherently scary this is essentially what it's saying here yeah um but like i i kind of thought even if it is meant to be the case that these are not like just black people but they are you know some sort of supernatural you know fire elementals yeah uh, then that's still essentially saying like someone with with dark skin is more scary you know what i mean regardless yeah. of whether these actual characters are actually black people or not yeah, because even beyond that, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff been uh, that has been written sort of recently um, about like how you know traditional fantasy sort of has these really like um, rigid notions of race. You know, mm-hmm. just even in like you know Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, how like races have characteristics assigned yeah. to them. You know, like. Um, and and you know, yeah. Anyway, but, but, but let's, like, yeah. let's let's take this. Um, this legion as an example this legion seems to be that one one of their gimmicks is that they're black it's like yeah it's like uh, okay so uh, we have all of these different white legions we've got vikings we've got romans we've got you know all 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 different types and then there's the black legion because they they get they get one and that sort of encompasses all forms of like um, ethnicity, you know, yeah. as if as if there is one. It's maybe not the most erudite thing to say that um, the authors of the Black Library can fall into some uh, easily avoided uh, racial and uh, gender-based uh, problems. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just going to simply say that the the black the authors of the Black Library have been known to. You know, uh, fall into some errors in the. <laughs> but all are worthy of a second chance. All need at least six or seven different second chances. Yeah. Anyway, that's like a, a topic that I'm sure we'll return to when we deal with a a, a, a full salamander's book, assuming there is going to be one. So, uh, well, that's as far as we got this time. Far as I got anyway, which means it's as far as we can both go. <laughs> um, switch. Let me take the uh, next story. We'll take a break. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll just I'll switch off. Now. Um, uh, I, I was a, it's a bit of a bummer because we were going to have our first ever guest contributor on today. Things didn't quite work out, but we will hope to get them on for yeah. um, a chat from a very different perspective than one yeah. that we have. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the principle behind, I think, this contributor was going to be, you know, in most podcasts and, and things, they would like, a contributor would be like when they'd call in an expert to, um, you know, offer some extra knowledge on whatever was being discussed. Like, But you can't, you can't get more this, expert than us. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in the true spirit of this podcast, we were calling in someone with even less knowledge <laughs> and understanding and qualification to talk about these books than us, so, like, as in someone who's never read a... 40k book uh, in her life or uh, anything of the sort um so and it was just uh, it was going to be fun to see uh, (laughs) what she thought of it um so maybe we can uh, if we can like uh, come up with one that's heavily like has a heavy basis around like um uh, medieval medicine uh, she would really be able to sort of cut in deep into she'd 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 love to talk about the humors Um, i know that (laughs) um so uh, we'll see if one comes up. World, some... world expert on the Aristotelian view of uh, of humours. So there may be some absolutely um, 
yeah, top-notch humoral content coming your way, <laughs> listeners, um, if we can find the right story. But uh, So that's us just about done, I think. Um, all that remains to say is if you want to contact us, you can get us at horusheretics at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, until next time, uh, yeah, we'll see you. See you then. Bye.